This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. of the DetroitSportsRag.com, joined by the managing editor of that fine establishment, who I am about to turn over the show for the next five or ten minutes, as ordered by him. His name is Justin Spiro. Okay, you can go to the bathroom or something. Make a call if you need to, because I don't really want your input yet. You can chime in at the end of this, but this is something that I need, I need to address right up front because I'm not going to be able to do the rest of today's show until I get this off my chest. So go check your Facebook, do what you got to do. One week ago, on this very show, I reported that Red Wing players viewed coach Jeff Blaschel as phony, a guy that was trying too hard to mimic his predecessor, Mike Babcock. This came directly from a Red Wings player, the same Red Wings player who gave us the direct information that he knew Mike Babcock would be leaving something else I reported last year. And sure enough, it didn't take long for the Detroit media to attack the veracity of our reporting. Now, this is something we've seen over and over and over again. When I reported that Mike Babcock was gone and Jeff Blaschel would be replacing him last year before anyone else had it, we were mocked. When Jeff Moss over a decade ago reported that Rick Carlisle would be terminated from his employment with the Detroit Pistons, Chris McCoskey went on the air at WDFN and mocked him and then refused to face the heat when he was wrong. We saw it with Moss's report on Jim Harbaugh saying he would be coming to Michigan where he's mocked on WDIV 
for a blog that doesn't know anything or whatever it is that they set. So this is something we've seen over and over again. The DSR will report something and either WDIV will come out or Chris McCoskey will go on DFN and it will come out. There's some type of blowback on our reporting. It's happened again and again and again and again and again and again and again. I named three or four examples off the top of my head. There have probably been 40, literally. I mean, considering that Moss is reporting something big or small about once a week on average, you do the math. The site's been around for over 12 years now. But this one was particularly bad. This one was particularly bad not just because it's, we've earned our credibility at this point. This one was particularly bad because of the source, the source of the criticism, the source of the mocking of our report. This is a favorite DSR target, certainly number one for me, the guy that I've argued is the worst journalist in town by a mile. Now, we go after a lot of guys. There's, there's worse people. There's more despicable behavior in some people's personal lives. Not disputing that. But in terms of what the core of a journalist is, the worst journalist in town, number one with a bullet is Greg Krupa of the Detroit News. Now, we don't like when WDIV goes after us. We don't like when Chris McCoskey goes after us. You know, that's, that's all bad. Those, you know, those sources are, are poor enough as it is. But for Greg Krupa, of all people in this town to come after the veracity of our reporting is not going to fly. And that's going to be addressed today. Now, let me, let me talk about this for a second just to give you the background. DSR reader yesterday, Andrew Skomsky, big, big follower of the site. Pretty sure that's a Chinese name, Skomsky. He asked Greg Krupa about the DSR's report on Twitter regarding Jeff Blaschel's relationship with the Red Wings players. Not that it was completely beyond repair, that it was deteriorating to the point of just no return, but just that they didn't really respect the guy. That's all we said, uh, and that they don't view him as his own man. So this report was referred to Greg Krupa for his analysis. Greg Krupa says, in a word, ridiculous. Now, I know for a fact that Greg Krupa knows the source of this information because I know that he reads the DSR often. He is very in tune with our criticism of him. That's why he's one of the many guys, Matt Derry being another one, who goes and just blocks people who follow Jeff Moss or myself, even though they've never tweeted at him or mentioned him. So we know he's aware of us. We know he's aware of the report. So we know that he knows whose report he's calling ridiculous. Now, this is the guy who is sitting in the press box at the Joe Lewis Arena, cheerleading, waving pom-poms every single game. This is a guy attacking our reporting who has tweeted the following in the past three months alone. Dylan Larkin, man, sometimes I just giggle like a little boy. That makes 3 nothing Red Wings. Oh, they play an old-time Red Wings hockey now. Darren Helm, goal, one nothing wings. Go to the net, boys. Horrible call, ref. Clearly on sides. Helm had a breakaway there. This is nuts. I see you, FNSU. OMG, OT win for the wings. Well, the refs blew that high stick on Advocator, but, well, after all, they will get it right in the end. 2-1 Rangers. This is bogus. No penalty on Advocator. He did absolutely nothing there. 900th career point for Pavel Datsuk. Datsukia with eight or nine O's. 
Ain't no dance competition like a Detroit fans dance competition. Ricky laying out some music here and the folks in the stands are going for it. Okay, do you get the picture here? That this is the guy who sits and waves the pom-poms for this team, who hasn't uttered a critical word who is, uh, uh, the entire season, who is somehow on this beat as sort of the B guy to George Sipple. It just Ted Colfin. Ted Colfin, thank you. Is that even the right newspaper? This this is this is the guy who is the the relief the seventh inning guy. Really, I mean, he's not even the setup man over there. He has. I think it's a budget budgetary thing. He doesn't travel because I don't think they want to have to buy him two seats on an airplane. Okay, well that, that's intelligent. And you know, frankly, I don't know if his. His act would play in any other press box but the Joel Serena press box. But for this guy, not to mention he's got to spend a lot of the year figuring out who's naughty and who's nice. You're you're talking too much. Sorry. Look, for I, I, you know, I wouldn't even say I can take criticism from some people because if it's not valid criticism, we're going to come after these people no matter who it is. But when it when it comes from Greg Krupa, a guy who also tweeted. Oh boy, them old boys. They like to give and go, baby. Go wings. I mean, <laughs> th- this this guy is an absolute abomination and an affront to the journalism world. He is a disgrace to the profession. And if he wants to comment on our reporting after the season that he just had in the press box, look, we don't hate everybody. We we are filling a void in this town, though, that is vast. It's cavernous. There's only a couple people in this town that even report anything. I'll name the three that do. Tony Paul reported some interesting news on Joaquin Soria during his tenure here, his relationship with the team, his pending return, etc. Tony Paul also talked about the advanced analytics, the direction the wings, uh, the Tigers rather were going with new GM Alavilla. Okay, he, Tony Paul is good. He's reported something. John U. Bacon has had unfettered access to the Michigan football program for two New York Times bestsellers. I don't even know how he got some of the stories he got. It's like he infiltrated the building up there. And, and to the point where he's so alienated himself, he's so uh, been so aggressive in his reporting that he's persona non grata on campus in Ann Arbor. That's what a journalist is supposed to be, by the way. And then finally, you have Chad Livingood, who's not even a sports reporter, political reporter for the Detroit News, who basically undressed Todd Corser in the sex scandal with Cindy Gamrat and just completely unraveled the guy. That's the end of the list. Now, we like John Nio. I'm not saying those are the only people we like. You know, there's a few other guys that we like. But I don't know what breaking news these guys are coming up with. So, you know, it's one thing if these middle-class guys are saying something. For Greg Krupa, of all people, the biggest disgrace to journalism in the country, I challenge anyone to present someone that's worse to come after our reporting. Not going to fly, Greg. And I'm going to turn up the heat ten times on you. And the only reason you've been off our radar, relatively speaking, for how bad you are is because you're so irrelevant. That that Moss has like seven times the Twitter followers that you have because nobody likes you because you're a joke. And no one needs to follow your Twitter feed to know what's going on with the Red Wings. There's 17 other sources that are better online alone. So the, I'll bring Moss in now. It just really bothered me to see this guy, of all guys, to come after our reporting. You don't have a leg to stand on, Greg Krupa. Am I allowed to talk now? Yeah. Okay. okay. Come on in. Thank you. Uh there's not much I have to add to that. This guy, you said he's the worst offender of journalism. I mean, I would put Drew Sharp and his plagiarism above cheerleading. Uh, that's on a single sin, a, though. That's a single isolated sin, and Drew Sharp's the second worst. 
But well, Drew he Sharp, also wrote an article about a game he never saw. I would put Drew Sharp first. Even if there's multiple ones, Drew Sharp has something on his resume that resembles journalism, okay. resembles unbiased reporting, something. I mean, this guy. I, I'm confused. Name, to what? name the Greg Krupa piece that wasn't a, a complete slop fest. Uh, the guy can't even talk to a Red Wings player in the locker room without drooling. We have video of this. He smiles like he's like just in awe. Yeah, I, I'm glad that when we see video of him in the locker room interviewing players, that we're getting shots above the waist because <laughs> I really don't want to see a Greg Krupa boner while he's interviewing. Uh, Nicholas Cronwall, because I'm, I'm, I, I wouldn't doubt that it's there. That's what an embarrassment this guy. I mean, seriously, when I first started seeing people retweet this guy into my timeline, I mean, this guy was so far off the radar, I didn't even know who the hell he was. Like, he's such a non-factor. But in the last few months, mainly because you've pointed out to me uh, these tweets that you read earlier, when I first saw the tweets, I thought he was like just at Detroit News, like maybe some sort of editor or something behind the scenes who wasn't even a writer, and he was just a fan. Not, I mean, a, not a beat writer. But not like, the, not like the equivalent of the number two beat writer for the team. It's I, I don't understand. It, you can say what you want about the free press not responding to our inquiries about Sharp, but how does someone not at Detroit News – Follow this guy's Twitter feed and be like, dude, you are the most unprofessional sports reporter in the country. It it makes no sense to me how this guy's even got a job. He calls the player's baby. He makes George Malik look like a Detroit Red Wings hater. I mean, the guy's complaining about penalties. (laughs) You're not Mickey Redman. You're not in the booth knocking a few back. He's commenting on the dance moves. Being paid by the team fans. ostensibly. I, I, you write for the Detroit News. And you're and you're basically saying that Dylan Larkin makes you hard. I mean, that's what you're basically saying, Greg Krupa. I, I, I can't believe we're dedicating 15 minutes of this show to Greg Krupa and his 2,000 Twitter followers. I, you know, I was told, and I've told you this before, we've mentioned it on the air, that he got some criticism from higher-ups at the Detroit News. I was told this by someone who would, in the know, that Gary Miles, who's like, I think their managing editor, the Detroit News, and him had it out, and Krupa like filed some sort of protection order against, the, against Gary Miles. Like, this guy has got a screw loose. And I think maybe what it is is they're just terrified of this guy going postal or something. And that's why he gets to keep the job and the pom-poms and allowed to just openly cheer for the Detroit Red Wings as a beat writer. This guy's a total slob. I told the story when he came up to speak to my – actually, it was a class on covering religion and journalism uh, at Michigan State when I was a student there. And he, he shows up, he's breathing heavily, he's totally out of breath. He's got jeans and a, and a tucked-in um, button-up that's like half untucked. I mean, he, he just he came and looked like a total bum. This is a guy coming to speak to a college class, took no, just no care for his uh, personal appearance. His beard goes in 17 different directions. It's three inches longer on one side than the other. <laughs> uh, he, he just, he, the, I don't, the guy, the, the, the walk from my classroom to the parking lot where he parked, 
I mean, it couldn't be more than maybe 50, 60 paces. The guy's just completely gassed. I mean, it just comes waddling in the room and wants to give us a, a, a lecture on the difficulties of covering difficult topics in journalism. This is a guy who can't even grasp how to handle a thing as easy as sports with any level of ethics, let alone delicate topics like religion and Islamophobia and things of that nature. So, you know, we can move on from Greg Krupa, but he's not going to get away with that kind of a comment without us addressing it. I'm just – if he wants to call our report ridiculous when he he doesn't even have – I mean, I I rail against the press conference stenographers in town. At least those people that I criticize like Joe Rexrode aren't lapping it up. I mean, Graham Couches, but Joe Rexrode, rest in peace for his Detroit career, was not like blowing the team. He just wasn't making many waves. I mean, this guy, this guy's sweating uh, with anxiety over meeting Nick Cronwall in the locker room after every game. It's just, it's, it's a disgrace. And you know, he's if he was he really if he covered me. the team for the Red Wings website, the behavior would be abominable. I mean, yeah. it would be terrible if he if he covered the team. Twentyman's not like and, this for the Lions. No. Now, like no. this, calling calling guys baby. Does he say great catch, Calvin? Baby, yeah. No, go. No. You know he's get, he's terrible. But we probably should move on it, at five forty five in about about a half hour, less than a half hour. Uh, we're going to have probably the most respected Red Wings commentator online, the exact opposite of Greg Krupa, Doctor Prashant Iyer, uh, who should probably be running the franchise at this point instead of appearing on our dopey podcast. Uh, but that's a uh, matter we can discuss at another time. In the meantime, uh, what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the Pistons? Want to talk about Nick Castellanos not playing well, tonight? We've had, we've had requests from a few people to talk Pistons, but like keeping Drummond out of it. I, I don't know how you separate the two. You're if, supposed to. Should we talk about the GOP race and keep Donald Trump out of it? I mean, it's it, hard. That's, that's the, he's the he's you know you used the word ostensibly earlier, so I'll, like double points. He's ostensibly the franchise player, uh, and he was a big reason why they lost that game. So you know we had multiple requests from DSR elite members saying, yeah, yeah, talk about the Pistons, but keep Drummond out of it. Well, I think um, they might maybe keep this for the free throw and the petulant child and the. Infant stuff out, which I, I think, okay. it's, again, which I think, you, which I think you can why talk was, about. Why was he out of the game? Because he can't make free throws. I mean, you can keep the petulant child thing out of it because I didn't see that manifest right. itself necessarily. But he's a liability. Look, I think the Pistons absolutely had to have that game. I, you know, I said that during the game when they were up by like three points in the fourth quarter. I'm like, they, you know, it's kind of stating if the they, obvious. But well, they, if they, they wanted had, to make it a series, well, right, which I don't right. think they will. Right, I don't, I don't either. I said Cavs in four, you know, and and you know five at the most. You know, there was a popular opinion on the DSR that the Pistons were going to push the six games. Still possible, but I'm not buying it. Well, what you will, what you can see in the season series, and then even in a playoff game, is that it's not a great matchup for the Cleveland Cavaliers. It just isn't for whatever reason. It's not a great matchup for them. Uh, LeBron was not able to go off during Game One. Uh, really, if you take a look at it. The Pistons took the team basically down to the last two, three minutes of the game, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference, with Reggie Jackson having a, a pretty lousy game for him, uh, Andre Drummond being a detriment to the team. Uh, Harris did not play very well. 
the team was basically carried what by Morris. Yeah, but you can you can say, oh, you know, they took him to the to the end, you know, with all these guys struggling. Yeah, they also lost a game where they shot like seventy five percent from the field in the first half. So no, I mean, I can go the other no, way. No, I'm on just that saying too. there's that, an anomaly that was in their favor. I'm just saying I'm not saying they're going to win this series, but to say for people to say Michael five or six games, I don't think is the craziest thing in the world. Well, I said four or five. Right. So I don't right. think I don't think uh, one game off. I don't think it's insane. I didn't call anyone stupid for saying that. I just disagreed with them. I don't think it's a terrible take. And you know they could have won that game. Listen, the Pistons are not going to get a fear de- a fear deal with the officiating in this series. Um, Stan Van Gundy's got to be a plus versus rookie coach uh, Tyron Lue, who basically is just a figurehead for LeBron James uh, being the head coach of that franchise and. By his own admission, SVG said that he was not very good on Sunday. Um, the Kevin Lowe embarrassment and humiliation of Andre Drummond uh, was, was, you know, forget the free throw shooting. The fact that Kevin Lowe just was dominating Drummond, it, it looked like Drummond couldn't keep an eye on Lowe, didn't know where he was going to be at any point. Uh, not a, Not exactly a positive factor, but... You know, when you're, it's just hard to get excited about a playoff series one versus eight in the NBA. You know, the Pistons were a five and playing a toss-up series. Maybe I could get more into it, but the fact that they're the they're the eight seed and they've got a player that I absolutely can't stand as their superstar, quote unquote. It's just, it was actually a chore to watch the game for me the other day. I, I'm sorry, that's the way it is. I was rooting for Cleveland, and I don't care what I, I don't care what any of you guys say. I don't care what you think. I'm not rooting for this team until Andre Drummond is gone. I don't care. Now, would I take some pleasure in Cleveland losing in a, a crazy upset? Yeah, because I hate Cleveland too. But I'm rooting for Cleveland. So I'm uh, not rooting for Cleveland. I mean, I can't root for Cleveland in anything. Rooting for Cleveland. I mean, I understand why you are. I'm a Cavalier fan. I'm a Cavalier fan. I understand why you are. But we're in a position where I just don't know if anything's going to change. And Am I going to throw away another Detroit sports team for the next few years just because of uh, my distaste for Drummond? I don't know. I'm not fully on board on that train right now. You know, this isn't like, oh, I don't like the third or fourth most important player. You know, there's always some guy in the team we hate. It doesn't matter what team it is. It This is the entire embodiment of the franchise, right down to the ushers and how they're handling fan interactions. So I don't think you can say, oh, because of this one guy, I'm not going to like the Pistons. It, it, well, he's a, the one guy who's not even on the court the last four or five minutes of the game, so it's not that hard. You know, yeah, I, I tweeted out the last six minutes of an NBA game are pretty much all that matter, and our franchise player can't play them. I mean, I don't. You know, you can say, "Oh, that's a stupid comment." Just, just watch. How, How many about, times are teams down fourteen and they come back to cut it to two with a thirty seconds left? That happens like constantly in the NBA. How about NBA expert Bill Simmons, the guru of the association, overrated, the man who is, uh, you know, looked upon as the official biographer of the league, Bill Simmons, tweeting out in the last couple minutes of the game questioning Stan Van Gundy not having Drummond in that game. And he made a comment like, basically, I understand kind of from a basketball standpoint, but don't you want your franchise player and the future of your team getting this exposure and playoff minutes in you know the last couple minutes of a big game one against the number one seed? And I'm like, hey, fuck stick, have you watched this team this year? Have you seen it play out? I mean, 
Stan Van Gundy had no option to not have to have Drummond in the game. He kept him in too long. Yeah, I mean Simmons well, has got it completely backwards. completely. Yeah, because he wasn't even getting the benefit of any defense because he was losing low. Couldn't card low. Love, love. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh God. I'm having. I, I had a little Jack Daniels while you were on your Krupa ran for the first 12 minutes. So, but yeah, he, Kevin Love. He couldn't find him, and. Not only Simmons is out there saying, why isn't Drummond in the game? A man who covered Andre Drummond as the beat writer for the Detroit News for the first three years of his career, Vincent Goodwill, chiming in from Chicago. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, I did. Questioning Van Gundy, whether, why is, he's going to have to answer why Drummond was, what are you, are you fucking kidding me, you little midget? Of all people, again. Of all people, once again, of all people, a man who said nothing while Jude, Joe Dumar, Jude Dumars, while Joe Dumars wrecked this franchise. Distance co-owner Joe Dumars? Yeah, for a decade, while he dismantled what was once a great organization, uh, while he was selling league information to Adrian Wojciechowski, or however the hell you pronounce his name, another fine Chinese man, uh, where was Vincent Goodwill to comment on any of that or criticize anything that was going on in the Pistons organization? Now that he's in Chicago working for Comcast Sports, which is owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, partially, who owns the Chicago Bulls, all of a sudden he's going to chime in. Stan Van Gunny's going to have to answer why Andre Drummond. Do you have two fucking eyes, you fucking dwarf? And, and let's back up for a second. This is a trend that we've seen repeatedly, Jeff. We'll get, let's go through some examples. Chris McCoskey shitting on Louis Delmas on his way out the door, calling him, quote, garbage on Twitter. I offer him $500 to prove that he once called Louis Delmas garbage or anything synonymous with garbage while he was with Detroit. McCoskey said I was a liar. I said, pony up. And then he blocked me and never addressed it again. So he shits on Louis Delmas out the door. Of course, Doug Karsh, what happens when Mike Babcock leaves? He shits all over Mike Babcock and says, Mike Babcock had to go, enough was enough. His message was being tuned out. Didn't say that the entire time Babcock was here. Didn't criticize him once when Babcock was here. So we've seen this. Well, forget about that. How about Goodchill, who, when he knew he was going to Chicago and leaving, his last basically parting shot in town was, Blaming Stan Van Gundy for the Josh Smith problem. Do you recall yeah. that? Oh, yeah. That was like his first sin out, outside of the, right. the town. Right. He's leaving town. He probably already knew for a couple of weeks that he was going to Chicago. And he says that Stan Van Gundy is the reason that the Pistons started off poorly last year because he didn't get rid of Josh Smith sooner. Completely absolving Joe Dumars for signing him to the huge mega off-season free agent contract, and then blaming Van Gundy for not right on the trigger instead of being able to watch it with his own two eyes and see if he could maybe uh, meld Josh Smith into this lineup or do something. It took him like 25 games or something, I guess, to figure out by Christmas. But by Christmas, it would be like SVG he- knew he had to give up, and he bl- good show blames... Van Gundy, not Dumars. It would be like somebody blaming a poisoned resident of Flint from drinking the water, saying that it was their fault for not seeking <laughs> medical attention soon enough and not Rick Snyder's fault and the government's fault and the infrastructure. Or fault. worse, it'd be like blaming the next governor for the problem. Based, uh, I, mean, yeah, I mean, or that too. Either way, you're, you're blaming someone that, was, that did not create their problem. 
and who inherited a problem and you're absolving the person who created the problem. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. And, you know, we saw the same thing when your boy Greg Brady, who the second he got off the air in Detroit is, is Mr. Billy Badass going after everybody in town. He's the new hard ass. He's the, the Jeff Moss with a paycheck. And, and, you know, that's, again, the cowardice that, that shows up over and over all sel- of these guys. It's, it's selective, it's become, selective courage. It, I'm so tired it, of yep. it. And you're going to hear it from Matt Derry in Cleveland. You watch. You watch. Matt Derry is going to be Mr. Badass about Detroit sports now. You watch. It's coming. Yeah, he got a job. I guess what, weekends? Yeah. You in, should in share Cleveland. that direct message of yours. Which one? Uh, you, yeah, I don't know. What you, 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 posted one, you posted one like the other day. Like, should I, I want to share this DM about these guys that like sell their souls. I can't get a job in the market or something. Oh, I don't even there, You've posted so many of his direct messages. Oh, I can't, <laughs> I can't tra- keep track of all the things that I've bombed him <laughs> keep on. Keep track of all the, the things that Dave Harns has criticized you for. Exactly. So Prasanth is, uh, what, about 15 minutes away. I mean, I don't want – I mean, the really, the con- the conversation I want to have is about the Red Wings. Uh, yeah, well, we have uh, 45 minutes left in the show, so uh, – Let's have the, the the about the Red Wings then. I mean, what what is there to say other than that? Well, maybe should we just take a break now and just try to get Prashant on early? Yeah, that's fine. All right. We'll see if he can come on early because right. I'm just run out. Of, I mean, we could talk about the Tigers for a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Tigers then. Uh, what do you think of Brad Ausmus so far? I think he's clearly done enough that he's not going to get fired. We said that that was uh, incumbent upon him to come out strong with the team this year if he wanted to keep his job. Uh, that was obviously uh, the start that he needed, I would say. So I thought it was interesting that a couple weeks ago you reported, based on your Tiger source, that you thought that the compromise decision, if there was a horrendous start, this team got off to 4-11 and or whatever, which could have happened. I mean, they had injuries to the tough bullpen. Tough schedule. And- tough schedule. They're going to Kansas City tonight. There was a lot of reasons why this thing could have started off horribly and become a shit show with a lame duck manager. It hasn't, thankfully. Uh, but the two people who were rumored to maybe replace uh, Osmus if things did start poorly, one, Ron Gardenhire, who we obviously know was in contact with the Tigers last year and then got pissed off when Al Avila basically said, I don't want him. Uh, he just got rehired to work as a special assistant to the Minnesota Twins front office. But the guy that you suggested – might come in just for the balance of the year as a compromise for Illich and, and Avila. Say, okay, we're going to bring him in for the end of the end of this year with Jim Leland. And I thought it was funny that Jim Leland got hired to manage the U.S. World Baseball team. So obviously, Jim Leland isn't completely done. No, he's not sitting in a rocker just smoking right. a pipe and you know reading poems all day, betting horses. And betting horses, I, you know, and I, I think it's become moot now. It, it's too, you know, I'd rather have the Tigers do well. So I'm not saying I'd rather have seen what would have happened, but I, I would be interested in a parallel universe where the Tigers had started off like choose five, your own adventure, five book. and sixty, right? Choose yeah. your own adventure book. Turn the page eighty-seven for the Tigers to start <laughs> yeah. in the tank. Yeah, right. <laughs> the old Goosebumps books. Um, you know, I, I, I'd be curious to see what would have been. By the way, we're not out of the woods here on this yet. I mean, the no. Tigers have started strong every year Brad Ausmus has been here. You know, 4-0, four, 5-0, four and, oh, and, oh, and they were, you know, 12-4 two years ago. And 
you know, this is not like we're out of the woods here on this, but it would have been interesting to see what would happen. And again, still in play, what would happen if the Tigers go in the tank? If I had a gun to my head and had the guess, I would say Jim Leland would be the guy. I mean, I, I know that's who they want, but I, I, I think he would take it. I mean, you know, you look at a guy that would have to come in and manage for what? I mean, three months if the team tanks like in a month. I mean, it's right. it's not it's not like he's managing. You know, the season's cut in half, no spring training and first couple months of the year. So I don't think that's off the table. And certainly him taking that job with the U.S. team is is curious. He's clearly, you know, not completely done, as you said. I haven't had a major issue with Osmus so far this season. I think that he has listened to the front office. To some degree, not not bunting nearly as much. No, they're not. That's, they're that's not like, bunting. I haven't seen other than that one criticism early in the first week, first couple of days of the season. God, I can't remember when they've really been sacrificed, bunt, bunted, and that actually play at the end of the day worked. They scored a run in I think extra innings and won that game. Uh, but there have been a few things, and one of them occurred again today. Nick Castellanos, who's one of the team's hottest hitters, is being benched and in, in, in sitting for the second time this year. And it's April 19th, and the guy is 24 years old. The Tigers didn't play yesterday. They had an off day. And Mike Avilas is playing third base tonight. Why? I have no idea. Nick Castellanos is off to a hot start. He's a streaky hitter. Why you would take him out of the lineup when I said, as I said on Twitter earlier, he's on a heater. The guy's got a 920 OPS this year. His slugging percentage, I think, is uh, almost 570 or something around there. He hasn't walked this year, and I think his on-base percentage is still like 350. Why is he not playing tonight? Well, I, I have an issue with the timing. you got to sit him eventually, I think, just because you have to use the guy behind him. The timing is more of the issue than the fact that it's happening at all. I mean, coming off an off day is the problem. There's, You know, it's baseball. There's blocks of time where you're playing eight games in seven days if you're making up a rain out. I mean, there's there's times to get these guys in, or if you're on the fifth game in a row and it's an afternoon game after a night game. You know, you, you can't just park Avilas on the bench and play him seven games a year and then hope that he doesn't, you know, uh, break his well, face okay. out there. So, so you, ha- you have to play him. It's more just the timing. I've how about you bring you were, him in in a blowout game? You were, well, the guy I, stinks. You He's going to be a 640 OPS guy no matter how many games he plays. I don't, He's no good. I I I don't totally disagree with you. I want to see Cassiano's not getting arrested for the second time in like nine days, both times off and off day. I believe, you know, if Cassiano's is Adrian Beltre and an established major leaguer, are they playing Michael Veals twice in the first month of the season and, and, and putting him on the bench? No, I mean it's not like Miguel Cabrera needs rest. It's not like J.D. Martinez has a day off. It's not like um, Justin Upton, who's in a terrible slump, basically is getting any break. So why is Nick Castellanos, who's one of the hottest hitters on the team, getting a day off? It, to me, it makes absolutely no sense. And, and, and I tweeted this out earlier. This is his, these are his OPS um, numbers by month since last July. Starting in July, 822, August 900, September 762, and then this month, which will end, it's only been, what, 20 days or whatever, 920. The guy's been hitting up a storm since before the All-Star break last year, basically doing what we were all hoping he would do. 
I, like I said, I don't understand. You're going to a big series against Kansas City. I know it's early in the season. There really is no big series. But you're playing a team that you figure you're going to be battling it out with for the balance of the year. And you take this guy out of the lineup. It just makes no sense to me at all. And you can, and the idiot Twitter followers of mine quoting his batting average with balls in play. Like, I give a shit about that right now in April. Yeah, maybe something. Okay, I'm sorry. He's got a hot. It's, it, it's not sustainable. Okay, how about we talk about it when it starts becoming not sustainable? When he goes into some sort of slump, you might want to put him, sit him out for a day. Not when he's crushing the ball. It, it just, it's just stupid. And it's just over managing, I believe by Brad Osmus, taking him out tonight. And I, like I said, I, I don't have a lot of complaints with Osmus so far this season. It's the team basically that Elavil gave him this offseason is kind of turnkey. There aren't a lot of decisions he has to make. I mean, when they have a lead in the late games, he's basically on autopilot. He brings in Wilson in the seventh, Lowe in the eighth, and K-Rod in the ninth. You really, there's not really many guys he can bunt with on on the on the line in the lineup as it is. Who's he going to bunt with? Uh, JD Martinez or Victor? I mean, there's just very limited times he can even bunt. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not terribly upset with anything that Osmus has done. I just don't understand why you would sit Castellanos tonight. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, maybe Nick Castellanos had an Anthony Fennick night and uh, needs a night off. Well, you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, let's cover that for the next oh. couple minutes. I, this is one of the most embarrassing things I can remember in this town, and that's saying something. Anthony Fennick no-showed for a chat at the Detroit Free Press website today, scheduled for 10 a.m., advertised, the editorial staff is tweeting it out. Come, he does it every Tuesday at that time. It would like be you and me like getting a call from Jessica at 540 why didn't you show up for the podcast that you've done for the last 28 straight weeks? It would be like Dave Harns' <laughs> pastor calling him at 9.13 and being like, where are you? <laughs> on you, a Sunday? You missed mass on a Sunday. You know, it, it's just... It'd not, be like the racetrack <laughs> wondering where I was Saturday at 2 o'clock. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why aren't you here betting on horses, you fucking degenerate? Like, the guy... It, it, we got. I got to go to the tweets because it, it's just it's it just absolutely hilarious. Or not the tweets, but the messages that James Janky had to get out the drives. Look at, Look at this. So James Janky, who mo- who's the free press editor, who mod- who who does these uh, um, moderates these chats on the free press, which basically his job is to. Make sure all the DSR readers don't get their questions in. His job wouldn't even be a job if it weren't for the DSR. No, if it wasn't for our website, there wouldn't be a job because Fennec could just do it himself. It's but the DSR filter. Yeah, exactly. So this is uh, this is at 10 a.m. when Fennec was supposed to be in the chat. Janky says, Anthony should be here in a second, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> no, wait a second. At 10.19 a.m., so 19 minutes go by with no activity in this chat. These poor people are just dying to get Anthony <laughs> FedEx opinions. Yeah, they're waiting for the. They're waiting to find out if the Tigers should uh, would rather have Josh Donaldson or Nick Castellanos. <laughs> they're waiting for his answer on that. Or uh, Suspedes, if they should get if Suspedes is a great player but not a great fit for this team. They're waiting for those those brilliant nuggets. So okay, 10 o'clock. He says Anthony should be here in a sec. 19 minutes go by. Nothing. Janky has to pop up and say, hmm, trying to track him down. 
<laughs> what? And then someone posts, maybe he thought it was 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Was that one of our guys? Or was that someone no, being dead serious? No, that was someone being dead serious. Like, oh. It was like they were trying to help out Janky. Like, maybe you need to find the guy. How embarrassing that you don't, sh- you no-shoe for your own chat. And your, like, supervisor's got to, like, post in the chat, like, I can't find the guy. Must be on another bender. So then at 12.25 a.m., 12.25, two hours and 25 minutes after he's supposed to be in the chat, and about two hours after Janky's calling an 8PB and trying to get a hold of him and trying to track him down, those are his words, Janky, trying to track the guy down, 12.25 Fennec wakes up from alleged, what I can only imagine is his drunken stupor, and tweets this out. The chat has, this, the chat has been rescheduled for 1 p.m. because of alarm clock management related issues. Is that a, is that a medical term? <laughs> I, it, it's 12.30, man. I mean, how are you unreachable until 12.30? You overslept by two and a half hours? This is like, I, you know, if he had woken up at the ten nineteen timestamp and said, "Hey, you know, had a late night, just overshot that by a little bit, hit snooze one too many times, whatever." This is, and he's the I, one guy. Anyone else in the city could get away with this, but the one guy who's been accused by this website, and he know, I mean, he's hyper aware of it, of being unprofessional, about not being disciplined enough to have this job. For him to being to, in over his head, being over his head, yeah. For him to pull this off and it to play out in real time like that where Janky's saying he's got to track him down, it, it, it's just un, it's just unreal. And, like, if I'm him at this point, I, like, call Janky, like, and apologize. Like, I'll buy you a bottle of, uh, you know, Blanton's or something just kind of to say that, you know, we had it was your fault. We had a cross-up. I don't need the DSR guys all over me. I don't want – I don't need the headache. Instead, he just comes on, the dumb oaf. And admits to to doing it. He's just such an imbecile. Like, I I just cannot believe. Tony Paul. Poor Tony Paul's got to watch this play out on our Twitter feed. Alarm clock management issues. Yeah. And he's got to think, this guy got this gig over me. And, you know, it's so funny because even if he had said, I I have a lot going on in my life. I had an appointment or I had a phone call or something and I just totally slipped my mind. Those are unprofessional and unacceptable, but at least you know it is what it is. To say that I was in bed at could noon, you imagine at noon the guy the guy he replaced John Lowe? Could you imagine John, John Lowe probably Lowe? gets up at five a.m. Can you imagine John Lowe coming on and saying <laughs> I missed my alarm clock at twelve thirty? Then later when he goes into the chat, he says I just kept hitting snooze. Like <laughs> I missed that. Part. Well, was, yeah, he kept. Is he admitted in the chat? I just kept hitting snooze. Like. Well, why didn't when Janky tried to get a hold of you? Why did that not call go through? Like he had, snoo- he had snooze on Janky's phone call too. I wonder, what's the over about- on how many times Janky called him? Oh God, <laughs> seventy four times. <laughs> like you're gonna have to send someone. I can to imagine check Janky. Body. I can imagine Janky texting him. The Detroit sports reg is going to fucking destroy you if you don't answer this phone. <laughs> Pick up the phone, you fucking hipster idiot. <laughs> get the furry hat off. Clear your ears. Answer your phone and get on your fucking laptop. You can do it from your bed. You could. So yeah, it's not like he has to be camera ready for like a shot. No, like a, you know, Fox Sports. No, it's coming a in. chat. It's texting. 
He could pull do out it the, on the toilet. He I could mean, pull out the iPad, be jerking off the tube galore while answering tiger questions. <laughs> he could be doing a plethora of things. It's the I mean, it's it's literally the least that he has to do. He could do any. He could be hungover, drunk, fucked up. All he has to do is say someone's going to ask him a question like, "Well, when do you think Michael Fulmer is going to get the call up?" Do you even have to be? Lucid to answer that question at how, all? How are you derelict in the simplest of your duties? The very simplest of his duty. I mean, it's just, it's the most basic function of his job, answering a chat. Well, how it, many things do we, is the guy fucking up that we don't even know about? I mean, we knew we knew about this because, it, like I said, it played out in real time. Well, if you can't even get out of bed before 1230 for a 10 a.m. chat, I, I you know, <laughs> how is that? How is that conduct manifesting itself in other ways that how we don't bad, even know about? Like I tweeted, how bad embarrassing is this paper? They employ a plagiarist, a fabulous, a sexually harassing stalker drunkard who can't even wake up for his weekly chat, and he says he forgot about it. Like, like who oversleeps to 1230? Like that's like freshman year of college type stuff. Like when you're up till 5 a.m. And I, I just – I was so – Flustered in a good way by that. I like bewildered, really. I just, I just couldn't couldn't believe right. it. But so all right, that's we're gonna, it for it's five forty four. We're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna get Prashant on the line. Um, hopefully, his mom hasn't been listening to the first forty minutes of the show. A lot of expletives flying. Uh, Prashant Iyer, the one person you should be following about the Detroit Red Wings in this city. A uh, pharmacist. Uh, what is he? A pharmacologist does. Um, resident in North Carolina. That's uh, that's the two people you need to be following: a pharmacist and an insurance appraiser for Red Wings uh, news. What a sad what a town. state of affairs! What a town! All right, we'll be back after this quick break with Prashantire. I hurt myself. Today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the and you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt You stay the hell away from me, you hear? I wear this crown of thorns Upon my liar's chair 
full of broken thoughts I cannot repair Beneath the stains of time The feelings disappear You are someone else I am still right here What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the air And you could have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down All right, we're back, DetroitSportsRag.com, the podcast. Uh, Justin Spiro here, our producer Jessica, who strangely disappeared for about 40 minutes from our first segment. It was like 20. I don't know. There was a guy involved and then disappearance, <laughs> discussions of daddy issues, <laughs> abandonment. And then we the next thing to, I know. I'm, not, I'm never telling you anything, next thing, ever. <laughs> the next thing that I know, there's a guy shows up, a uh, military guy comes here and Jessica disappears for a half hour, so you can connect the dots any way you'd like. It was a guy about a show. Well, is that what you call it these days, you kids? Yeah. A guy about a show? Oh. All right, enough of the hilarity and hijinks. On the other end of our line is the authority on Detroit Red Wings analytics, pretty much uh, the only person worth following regarding this team in the city, and he's not even in the city. He's in North Carolina. Mr. Dr. However, whatever you want to call him, Prashant Iyer. How you doing, Prashant? Doing pretty well. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing all right. Uh, a little depressed by that break song, but shouldn't have played Johnny Cash Hurt, I guess, right before talking <laughs> about the Red Wings. Uh, because I'm sure this conversation will, want me to shoot, will, will uh, lead me to desiring shooting up heroin, which I'm sure you can tell me is a really bad thing based on uh, your uh, pharmacology uh Experience, but let's get right in. Let's get right into the Red Wings. You know, when when this uh, playoff series started, I was pretty dejected. I I wasn't excited about it at all for two reasons. One, they absolutely backed in to the spot uh, by losing to the Rangers in a game that the Rangers basically probably should have thrown. Uh, needed the Boston Bruins to get annihilated by the Ottawa Senators just to qualify. Which, uh, if that was just the only issue, I guess that would have been okay. But the fact that Peter Morazic wasn't starting in net, Brennan Smith was still in purgatory for reasons we still have no idea why. Uh, no Mantha, no Pulkinen, no Yurko. It just was very depressing. Then the team goes and loses the first two games in Tampa because of absolute desperation. Uh, Blashill and Holland, or Holland and Blashill, however you want to frame it, because we have no idea who's making these decisions at this point. They insert Brennan Smith into the lineup, something that you and I had been begging for for weeks. 
started Peter Mrazek, the goalie who should have been playing all along, in my opinion, because they wouldn't have been in the situation in the playoffs without him. And then they win that game convincingly, 2 nothing. probably should have won 5 or 6 to nothing based on the scoring chances. And now, I don't know about you, but I'm all in and excited about the game that's going to start in about an hour and 10 minutes, and I feel like a sucker. Uh, what, where, where, are you, where, what, what are your thoughts on the series at this point, and are, do you have similar feelings to what I'm going through? Yeah, I mean, right now I feel like I'm being set up real nicely uh, by this team because you could argue that that was probably the most complete game they've played all year. I mean, that you could literally argue that was the best game they played looking at it from either an expected goals um, model, which that was, I think, their third best game out of uh, all the expected goals for percentage models. Um, I mean, they, they flat out dominated that game, and so I feel like I'm being set up because that team can't play any better. That is exact. I mean, I went back, I rewatched the game last night. I was going to put together an entire piece on, you know, these are the adjustments they made. This is what they did from a system standpoint. And it's literally nothing. They just executed. There was nothing different. They just executed. Right. And this isn't something that really should surprise it to a T. I don't know. If, yeah. It shouldn't really surprise yeah, I was just because saying, like, I don't I think, know if they can do that again. But I think both you and I going into the series figured that, look, if the Red Wings play the right lineup and play their best players, Tampa is at a severe disadvantage. They don't have Stamkos. They don't have Strawman. They've lost uh, more players while the series has gone along. If they were playing the team that we thought they should be playing from day one, I thought the Red Wings probably were 60-40 favorite to win. And with, yeah, I mean, I would have absolutely agreed. So, I mean, and now they, they've stu- they, they're in a 2 nothing hole, and then now it's 2-1 to one because of, Partially, I believe some of the decisions, and so I'm—I don't know. I, I obviously they have to win tonight, but if they win tonight, even if they don't play as dominant a game as they did um, on Sunday, I, I still think that they have a very good chance to win the series, only because Blashill has, has come to, to the to the light a little uh, in playing one of his top two defensemen, who for we still to this day have no clue why he was sitting. Yeah, I mean, I you know I have no idea what he did, whether it's off ice or something. But I mean, I've I've come up to this tweet, but he literally led the entire Red Wings defense in every meaningful category. I mean, there's there's not act there's not a category he did not lead the Red Wings defenseman in this all year? the way through from yeah. I mean, this year he led him in five on five goals four per sixty five on five goals against. He let him in five and five expected goals, four per 60, five and five expected goals against. He let him in five and five high danger chances, four per 60, five and five high danger chances against per 60, five and five scoring chances per 60. I mean, it's the entire gamut of statistics. He led every single statistic. <laughs> and then relative to his defense, uh, the rest of the defensemen on the team, there's a uh, Corsi relative statistic, and he was number one in the NHL, which means relative to the re- other guys on his team, nobody was better. And if you look at the other guys who are on that list, number two was Victor Hedman, and number three was Eric Carlson. So you were talking about guys who were head and shoulders better than the rest of the guys on their team. And that was what Brendan Smith was this year. So I have no explanation why he was not playing uh, unless it's something off ice that they're just not willing to disclose. But, uh, I mean, that's the kind of decision that can get people fired over a period of time if you continue to play like that. So I'm very happy 
that he's back in the game. And lo and behold, he was phenomenal in that game from the hit he threw right off the bat to you just watched all the subtle breakout plays he would make. He would make these nice quick spin backs that would beat pressure and then be able to get that play, uh, the puck up ice. I mean, there's just, it's, it's beautiful to watch his game. So I'm, I'm really hoping that they're able to keep that going, keep that momentum going um, tonight because they, this is the perfect draw for them. They have a draw to the conference finals if they play to their potential. Yeah, and, and they even at this late date, as like I said, we're an hour, a little more than an hour away from game um, four, they're still not doing everything they should be doing. The power play once no. again, the power play once again was an absolute disaster on Sunday night, and probably the reason the game was still close, uh, relatively close into the third period. That that game should never have been, you know, it, it shouldn't have, it should have been a laugher. But the power play was total garbage as it has been for most of the season, and Blashill continued to throw out the same units over and over again. No, no change whatsoever. There was discussion over the over the weekend or on yesterday that maybe Timo Pulkinen would be inserted in the lineup to maybe help the power play, even, just for the fact that they need his shot out there, and he would draw attention. If, if he was even out there, just, Tampa would have to respect his shot, and, and I would think he would create space for the other uh, four members of the power play unit. doesn't appear that's going to happen. Uh, I, it, it's just unbelievable to me that week after week, month after month, Blashill has continued basically to throw out the exact same units, thinking something was going to change. And it, you can't, you don't have time in, in a playoff series, especially when you basically gifted the other team the first two games, t- to screw around like this. It, it, it's it's unfathomable to me. Yeah, and um, so what's what's kind of interesting is there's been a lot of recent um, studies that have just come out from a guy whose name is Eric Parnas. He works for the NHL Special Teams Project. And so what he's found out is that the best predictor of future goals is what he's calling the Zephyr statistic or the zone entry, or basically time to zone entry setup. So basically the amount of time it takes you to get set up on the power play is directly predictive um, and it's most predictive, more than anything else, uh, more than the number of shots you take, more than the number of goals you score, of future goals being scored. And so, you know, using that data, that's why I don't think Polkinen would be the absolute best answer. I do think he improves that spacing like you were talking about, potentially gets everybody in better position, better, uh, better spacing once set up. But I still think you need a guy to actually get the puck in the zone to help them get set up. And right now I've done a lot of work on their drop pass and their drop pass. They execute it horrendously when it's used effectively. It can be a very effective zone entry, but between Cronwall and Zetterberg, you've got no speed. They're dropping the puck too far back. And then you've got everybody stopped up at the blue line. So when the one guy does enter, he's got nobody going with him. So you don't get set up. So I think you enter a guy like Athanasiu, drop the puck to him, Nobody has to stop because he's still going to beat everybody into the zone. He just needs to make one move at the blue line, and he's in. That's a quick setup. Now you're set up. And if you want, just literally use him to come and set up and then take him off the ice if you don't want him there. Um, But it it blows my mind that that's not something that's been considered when you look at how much the Red Wings have struggled just to get set up on their power play. I'm going to back it up a couple minutes and just say you and and Jeff – 
have alluded to this idea that Brendan Smith may have some off-ice issue that is keeping his minutes down and keeping him off the ice entirely. I just don't buy it. Why would you play him at all? So I, I just think it's a, it's bad management. But my question for you, you've sort of walked back a little bit. I think you were a little critical on Twitter about this whole concept of the the Luke Glendening shutdown Tyler Johnson concept and that the whole line that they were rolling out there. And you sort of walked it back a little bit and said that it, it wasn't such a bad idea. Where do you kind of stand on this? Do you buy that Luke Glendening is the, the Tyler Johnson stopper or is that just a, a one-game anomaly that will go out the window tonight? Yeah, and so initially, I, you know, without looking at any of the data, I was always staunchly against it just because if you looked at Glendening's course side numbers, I mean, they were they were terrible last year in that seven-game seven series. But what I did before, or it was actually after game two, what I did is I took a look and actually looked at directly the minutes that Glendening was on the ice with Johnson at five on five. And by the end of the seven-game series, there's actually a 50-50 split in shots. Um, when Johnson and Glendening were both on the ice at five on five shots were 24 24 and considering that glendening has always been the kind of guy that's a 40 to 42 percent guy i thought that was incredible that he was actually able to get a draw with johnson uh now johnson still had six goals he had an assist and those i think all were kind of results of defensive breakdowns and they actually didn't really occur with glendening on the ice whether i buy that he's still a player stopper um i'm still really hesitant to make that tag I was really hesitant about this line, given that that Johnson Kucherov line has a lot of speed. But I really thought Abdulkader, Glendening, and Shahan did an excellent job up front of pressuring Tampa's defensemen, preventing the puck from getting to the forwards. And then when the puck did get to the forwards, the defensemen quickly pinched on them in the neutral zone and forced them to give it up quickly. So I thought it was a perfectly executed plan. I'm just just hesitant that they're going to be able to do it again. Um, so I, I'm really not going to say that, yes, Glendening is a stopper, but I will say it's not as bad as I initially thought it was. I, I was actually very, very surprised. We played him to a draw in seven games last year. And this year, I mean, in game three, when they were both on the ice together at five on five, shots were 10-4 in favor of Detroit. So I'm not, I'm not ready to buy it, but it's, it's kind of trending that way. Let's talk about Athens CU now. Um, I've tried to put that off for about 10 minutes. I didn't want to be the first topic because uh, I'm guessing we could probably talk about it for the a full half hour. Um, it's incredible that it's not even the most bizarre lineup decision they've made. That I, I, I got to believe that it's Brendan Smith. That's the craziest thing I've seen. It's probably one of the most bizarre um, roster decisions, lineup decisions I've seen in 30-some-plus years of watching this team religiously. The second most is probably Athanasiu, that he's still playing under 10 minutes a game. They they called this guy up because of his speed, because he could play defense, because he can kill penalties. And now his time seems to be limited because they don't trust him defensively. I'm just at a loss that this guy can come out and play a game like he did on Sunday night where he scores the first goal, where he almost scored the goal of the season. If that puck goes in, I'm laying two to five odds that that's TSN's play of the year. Yeah, I mean, that was unbelievable. Yeah, and and, and he leads another two-on-one because of his speed. 
And then he plays less than a minute in the third period while they're nursing a lead, which it's not like this team's never blown a 2 nothing lead in a huge playoff game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, <laughs> so it's it just absolutely mind-boggling that they still keep rolling out these excuses. One, the first excuse is that he can maximize his, his uh, level of play based on the, the, the low amount of minutes, which, I mean... I don't even know where to begin with that. This is the dumbest. I mean, I guess if you played Wayne Gretzky 10 minutes a game in 1982, he'd have been pretty good too. But I'm guessing (laughs) there was a reason he played 25 minutes a game. And two, over the weekend, Blaschel says, well, he didn't dominate in the AHL like other players, like like Johnson and others. That's why he's not getting the minutes here. It's just... Like I said, this this team is so... they're, they're, They're making it so hard for us to go all in with them. Yeah, I mean, that that quote has struck a nerve with me because you're basically saying because he wasn't good where he was, I'm going to ignore what he's doing right now. Because right now, I mean, from guys who played more than 300 minutes this season, which is a relatively small uh, threshold to start from, he led the NHL in goals per 60 at 5-on-5. Five five. And, I mean, guys who played more than 300 minutes, that's ridiculous. And then you see literally every time he's on the ice, the puck spends a majority of time in the Red Wings zone. And what I end up noticing is, you know, to be fair to Blasio's point about his defense, happen to see when he's on the ice, he leads the Wings in high danger chances against, which means, you know, the Wings are giving up the most when he is on the ice. That's actually gotten a little bit better in these first three playoff games where he's now actually greater. He's about 57% for uh, at this point in time. So he's doing a lot better from that standpoint. But things that just don't make sense to me is you're you're calling him out for his defense and you're playing him on the penalty kill. A situation where defensive awareness is easily the most important attribute. You won't put him in situations where he can so fully focus on offense, like the power play. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then you put him at five on five, and you are only faulting him for all these chances that happen against when you've got four other guys on the ice. And I'm not sure really where this is coming from uh, because it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, if you think about where he got to start, he got to play a couple of minutes uh, in top six before he was quickly thrown back down. But he spent a majority of the time in the bottom six with Luke Lindenning, who is notorious for being – at the bottom of the list for the Red Wings in terms of shot suppression. So we're only really now seeing him away from Glendening, and even then we're seeing him with Joachim Anderson, who is also bottom of the list for the Red Wings in terms of shot suppression. I'd like to see him with guys who do really well at that, like Tatar and Nyquist. The chemistry between him and Tatar in the last game was unbelievable. Take away Anderson and give me a better center, and I think they finished a couple of more of those plays. Uh, It's just beyond me. Uh, given how dominant he's been offensively as a 21-year-old rookie, that you're not willing to play him more. And you're willing to almost completely shut him down in the third period, which, I mean, I could go on for an entire 30-minute rant about the concept of protecting leads versus extending leads, uh, which is completely idiotic, and it's a theory that Blaschel subscribes to heavily. Uh, it just it just doesn't make any sense how they're limiting see the way they are. But hold on a second. I got to ask yeah. you a question. This is for Prashanth. Hold on one second. We have Prashanth Iyer on the phone from 
North Carolina University and winging it in Motown, a guy who should probably be running the team at this point or at least be in the front office instead of uh, working down there uh, dispensing medications. But I have to ask you a question. Are we allowed to say the player who made the comment about Athanasio comparing him to Ovechkin? Yeah, I said, or, I said that on the oh, show. Are we allowed to say his I, name I and not that, unnamed source? I've, for the comment about Athanasio, I, mean, yeah. I, I okay. told that story on the air last week. Uh, so of you course. think I remember? Of course we can. Okay, yeah, so, so NHL defenseman Jack Johnson of the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, – Made a, why, why don't you? I don't want to say anything out of school, so why don't you say what he said? Yeah, it's fine. Um, I, you know, I'm friends with Jack uh, Johnson of the Blue Jackets, and he's he played the Red Wings in February, I think late February, and they played against Athanasiu and the Red Wings. It was shortly after I think the most recent call up for Athanasiu, and he said the guys on the bench were in awe, saying that this guy is basically a poor man's Ovechkin just in terms of how explosive he is, and if if you take your eye off him for a second, he's behind you. And they were telling each other on the bench, you got to keep an eye out for him. I mean, it was like the talk of the Blue Jackets bench in the first period about, like, who is this guy? And there was a kind of a running joke. They were trying to figure out what nationality he was. He's clearly Greek to me. But <laughs> yeah. he was the talk of the Blue Jackets bench, like, who is this kid? We got to keep an eye on this guy. And Jack is a, a huge fan of him and Larkin as well, fellow Michigan guy. But, um, you know, I don't know what Moss's question was, but that no, was I me just, filling in the blank. There. No, I just was thinking that a, 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 a an NHL player making those kind of comments, it, it just, like I said, it just the whole baffled, team, The whole Blue Jackets the team. The whole Blue Jackets team having, having, you know, being scared of this guy's speed, it, it just, it just so, it's just so unbelievably hard to believe this is the same organization that won four Stanley Cups that was so far ahead of the curve drafting Russian players, uh, basically had Hocken Anderson scouting in places in Europe nobody else was. I mean, this team was at the cutting edge of the NHL to the point where they had such a significant advantage, not just you know Mike Illich writing blank checks to, to players, but they going back to even Peter Klima, sneaking him out of, a, out of, out of Czechoslovakia. Back in the eighties, in a in a trunk. This is the same organization that now is sitting Brennan Smith during a playoff run. They're lucky they made the playoffs even without him in there. And now they 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 draft a guy, develop him, and and they refuse, even though the fan base is all over them, even though the media, which never criticizes anything, the the St. James's, the Colfins. Uh, the the cons they never criticize anything this organization does ever even they have to ask the question why on a daily basis why is Athen Athenasiu not getting more playing time it, it just and we can't make any we can't say anything make any excuses for them that there might be an off the ice issue with him it just it just really is just it just it's just mind boggling yeah I mean it, it blows my mind and like they're they're making these. I guess just about every quote that Blaschel has made about Athanasiu, it's either contradicted itself or it's factually incorrect. So I mean, they're calling him on the OHL, or they're calling him on the AHL not being an MVP. But when he was in the OHL the year before, uh, he led all 17-year-old players in primary points for 60. Nail Yakupov, who went number one overall, was second. So okay, this guy was already producing more than the guy who was the number one overall pick. Uh, in terms of primary points. And then, you know, he comes up to Grand Rapids and he's been hampered by injuries, which is honestly what slowed him down. 
uh, and then you got him up here, and you just see he is he's easily the fastest player in the NHL. I mean, the, the team, Larkin's already saying that. And then you've got guys like uh, Justin just said about um, about Jack Johnson. I mean, people are marveling at how good this guy is, and you're holding him back. And it's kind of it's kind of a shame. I mean, even even Henry Zetterberg said, "I wonder what this guy could do in 18 minutes." Uh, and then then Blashell had to address that today or yesterday. Oh, I didn't even hear I that. I mean, that's just yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm curious. We had you know we got to wrap up in a couple minutes, but we had a, a little mini debate on one of the DSR Facebook pages about you know whether or not Babcock was better or worse than Jeff Blashell, strictly in terms of player usage. I, I mean, you're really the the expert, kind of the, the godfather of this concept, certainly as it relates to the Red Wings. Which coach was better in terms of proper player usage, playing the right guys in the right situations? Are, are they pretty much the same? Um, so I think from a strictly ice time perspective, I think Babcock was slightly better than Blaschel's been. Um, I do think Babcock definitely had a lot of faults with, particularly his handling of Kendall, his handling of Smith. And I don't think he would have seen a guy like Athanasiu up on the team this year, uh, for sure. I don't think he would have seen that with Babcock. But with, with the guys he had on his roster, he managed to not overtax his big guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg, had balanced time on ice, and was able to put guys in positions to succeed. So I thought that was something that uh, Babcock did. And where he really excelled at it was with protecting his defensemen. So, you know, a lot of the stuff we're seeing with Erickson and uh, Cronwall this year is directly related to how Blaschel's brought his system in and how he's asked his guys to play, which is a slightly different player usage um, concept. But really, Blaschel's system relies on your, the ability of your defensemen to skate. And you're seeing that this year, that Erickson can't, Quincy with all of his ankle surgeries can't, Cronwall with all of his knee issues can't. And so you've seen those three guys really get exposed this year in the system, um, whereas guys like Brendan Smith have really excelled. The guys who can skate, think on the fly, make quick decisions, uh, those are the guys who have looked really good. So I think from a player usage standpoint, you know, I think Babcock ultimately did a better job, but I don't think you would have seen the same introduction of youth as you did. So you could argue that we honestly have no idea because back in – uh, 2013 with the, uh, or yeah, it was 2013. I think when Nyquist came up, uh, 2013, 2014 season, when the wings had all those injuries, I mean, he started bringing everybody up at that point and was heavily relying on Nyquist. And that's when Gus scored 28 goals in 57 games. So, you know, you could, you could say maybe you wouldn't see young players. I'm still going to lean Babcock. Uh, I think he did, I think he did more and he did better with who he put on the ice. Let's just hit back before we go on the power play one more time. Uh, our own uh, Topher Ryan was tracking the power play when Anthony Mantha was on one of the two units in, in the lineup versus uh, since he's been demoted and or benched. And I think it was 11 for 36 when he was playing. Not that obviously we're not giving him all the credit. I think he scored two power play goals. But we're just saying when he was part of one of those two units, the power play, I think, was it, it, the hottest it had been. It was 11 for 36. Since, I think it's 2 for 20-something at this point, 2 for 26 or something. Um, what yeah, are you, 2 what, for 29 right 2 now. 2 for 29 <laughs> since he... So I, I, how do you explain that? What do the numbers tell you there? Are, are we crazy to think that Mantha could make that big of an uh, uh, impact in, in, you know, just playing on the power play 
What what are your opinions on Mantha being in Grand Rapids right now and not on that power play unit? I mean, again, it's another thing where I think Flasher was like, let me not break in the rookie during the during the playoffs, when honestly I think this is the perfect situation when you're stepping in. You have zero expectations, really, because this team has gone out in the first round, so going out again only meets what you did last year. So taking a chance, I would have liked to have seen that. But as far as Mantha's impact on the power play, um, I actually think he had a significant impact on it because of his reach. And what he did is when they played him net front with these guys like Abdelkader and, uh, and Shahan, what they like to do is they go directly to the front of the net and they don't really drift from the front of the net. But what Mantha does is he would actually drift to down below the goal line and then actually opens up a secondary passing option for that power play quarterback who's playing on the half boards right there. And without that secondary option, your only option is to go back to the point. And so I'm sure everybody's been really frustrated when you keep seeing that the puck goes down to the half board and then it goes right back to the point. It goes to the other half board and it comes right back down to the point because you're never opening up that play below the goal line, uh, which I think Manson did a great job. Not even on five on three, they couldn't. Not even on five on three, they couldn't open it up. I mean, in a five on three, that's kind of embarrassing. And actually with some of the screenshots, the way they set up on the power play was completely incorrect for how you should set up a five on three to where two guys were effectively useless on that five on three based on their handedness. So that's being a left-handed shot was positioned by the goal line on the left side of the net. He can't do anything from there. He can't shoot the puck and even passing the puck. He's passing with his stick towards the middle of the ice, which is towards where the defenseman can make a play on it. So he was pretty much useless. And then Richards actually ended up skating green out of position um, and opening up a one-timer on the wrong side of the ice. Uh, so, I mean, it was just complete meltdown. Um, but I really think Mantha had that impact because he was very good at stepping below the goal line, opening up a secondary passing option, and then either working that puck to the slot or allowing the defenseman to kind of curl behind the quarterback and get that open one-timer because you're able to create space. So I thought he did a great job affecting the Red Wings spacing on the power play as well as providing providing a great passing option. Uh, and then he's got his reach and his finishing ability around the net. So I thought he had a significant impact. I'm very surprised they, you know, I shouldn't say very surprised. They said he was going to be top six, but we know what's going to happen. It's, they they right. said he's going to be up here a while. We know what's going to happen. So I can't say I'm all too surprised, but I'm a little disappointed because I thought he had a significant impact on the power play. The last thing I'll say, and I mentioned this on Schuling's show yesterday, and I think it's probably something you agree with. I think there's a probably a, a misconception of the, the mainstream Red Wing beat writers and the team itself, uh, Holland and Blashill, that we that there's this percentage of the fan base who think that if they played that we think if they played Mantha, if they played Smith, if they played Morazic, maybe if they played Poole, that we somehow think that they'd win the Stanley Cup. And really, in actuality, all we want is the best players on the ice and let the, the chips fall where they may. We don't have any delusions of grandeur. This team is is competing for a cup. But at the very least, we want to see them being run competently and, and just the best players out there. And whatever happens, happens. And I, I'm pretty sure you probably agree with that, that sentiment. I mean, from my perspective, the reason I want those guys out there is because I'm willing to acknowledge that Zetterberg, Cronwall, and Datsuk are aging. They're no longer the face of this team. And if you wait until they physically or actually leave this team, uh, you're going to be too late in developing your players. So you had a no-expectation situation this year 
You know, if you miss the playoffs with a rookie head coach, so be it. You miss the playoffs with a rookie head coach. Okay, great. You made the playoffs. Well, you, you, you know, you lost in the first round the last couple of years. You lose again. It's no different than the year before. This was the perfect situation to lean on Tatar, lean on Nyquist, lean on Athanasiu, lean on Manta, dial back Zetterberg and Datsuk into a situation where they're fresh every night and they're able to keep going, not playing 22 minutes a night. And this was your chance to really get those kids an experience of leading the team. You know, I, I would have loved to see them roll with something like Larkin, Tatar, and Nyquist as a top line. Let Datsuk, Zetterberg play on the second line. Let them play on the third line. Get these kids some experience because if you wait too long to get them playing time, if you wait too long to develop them, one, you're going to miss their prime, and two, it's going to be too late, and this team's really going to dive down, um, and you're going to be in a world of hurt. You want to be able to develop on the five, uh, and they're not doing a good job of that. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Prashant. Uh, finally given Red Wing fans someone to follow on Twitter, uh, on your posts on Winging and Motown. Uh, you, you're not getting anything. We're not getting anything out of the beat writers, so we got to go to alternative sources. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, people enjoy reading your stuff, reading my stuff. And I will say this: if the Red Wings can win the series, if they can get to the conference finals, uh, and you can get up here, the ticket is on me. Hopefully, my uh, season tickets, second row on the blue line. Uh, you have an open invitation to one of the games that they have at home if you can get up here. Um, so appreciate everything you do. Oh, greatly appreciate that. So Jeff. if you can get up here, if we get to the conference finals, uh, we're going to a game. If you can get up here, I got to get out of here. Jessica's just flagging me down. We, she, I don't know what what's going on. Jessica. <laughs> I have no idea. If something. I, I don't know. I, I I'm not going to delve into all my suspicions, but uh, she's giving me waving me down, saying we got to get her by six fifteen. Spiro already left, so he can get home to Rochester to watch the the puck drop. <laughs> I got to get out of here. Hopefully we get a win tonight, and I and Jessica is happy, and we're all happy. So thanks again. <laughs> so, in the middle th- thanks, thanks again, Prashanth, and uh, they get to the conference finals. Tickets on me. Awesome, thanks, right. Jeff. Okay, thank you. For take care. Me. Thanks, Jessica. Care That's done. We're done. Go Wings. Um, maybe if they keep going and playing in playoff series after playoff series, maybe finally they'll get the right lineup in there. So. We're done. We will be back next Tuesday unless uh, I oversleep and my alarm (laughs) clock doesn't go off. Good night, everyone. This is a previously recorded episode.